Well, I don't know that you could get chairs for 20 cents. <laughs> Opera chairs, I don't know, e even in 1933, do you suspect that was a pretty good deal? 20 cents for opera chairs, but they must have been so comfortable and good that they got these in 1963. <laughs> and uh, now for those of you that are, you know, visiting again or coming back, just know that we had tried to have new chairs for you by the 90th anniversary, uh, didn't, but you know, those supply chain things. So come back in July and uh, we may have a little more, more comfortable space. So no, it's good. The Lord is faithful despite all those kinds of economic ups and downs and all those sorts of things. Yes, Pastor Bill, it would indeed be a lot easier for me to have us go right into the concert <laughs> and not have to preach at this moment. It's intimidating to be truthful and honest with you all with the music that's so moving and powerful and, and everyone's skilled in their craft. And, and of course, all you folks coming special for this. Uh, um, okay. I'm the little pup, you know, and uh, here we go. You know, our, our, um, you saw a picture of the feed store. I find it, I find it providential that uh, we started in a feed store planting the seed, holding forth the word of life. That's what we are. But there's another image, and that is we, we are luminaries. We're stars in the sky, and that is our cornerstone verse, holding forth the word of life. It was on the, the banner uh, in the initial buildings and, and then on the, the sign of the Odd Fellows Hall. I, I'd never heard of an Odd Fellows Hall until I came to Granville in 2001. That was no description of the church, um, but I did do a little research on what an Odd Fellow was. It's, it's curious. We won't go into it, but it's, it is interesting. Um, but it was, you, you wonder where that was located. Well, it's where the, the bank is on Wilson Avenue, just across from First Church. And um, so right in that general area in front of the library. Well, and then, then they needed space, and it was wild territory out here, they tell me, in the 50s. This was just, this is like way far away, way out there. In fact, Grisboom, Grammar School of Bible and Music, um, really didn't have a keen interest in sending their students way out this far uh, to the wilderness in the 50s. So, uh, but that's a bit of the heritage. But on that initial cornerstone is this holding forth the word of life. But there's a broader context that includes verse 15, and it includes this aspect of shining forth as stars. It would literally be you appear as stars in the world, holding forth the word of life. We looked last time at verses 12 to 14. Uh, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're to hold out the word of life, and next, next Lord's Day, we'll, we'll just kind of round out this little anniversary series with pouring out our lives. But verses 15 to 16, holding out the word of life. Uh, we'll get to the translation issues in just a little bit, but we, we are a people that are a saved people. Right? We're to work out our salvation. That's what we highlighted uh, last week, last Lord's Day. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And in order to work it out, you have to have it in the first place. And that's crucial to who we are as the people of God. We're a saved people. 
And we're not saved because of anything we have done. We're saved because all of what Jesus has done for us. He lived in our place. He died in our place. He's raised in our place. And he's bestowed everything good for us by his Holy Spirit. And when we trust in him, then that, that application of all his benefits is applied. And we're grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to life in Christ, that we can respond with that faith and repentance and belief. But we're not just then saved and go on. Paul's very concerned that we actually work out our salvation. We live out our salvation. We manifest what it is to be a saved people. And verses uh, 12 to 14 just kind of flesh that out. We do it obediently. We do it reverently. We do it energetically. We do it delightfully. We do it contentedly. We just kind of review. But now as we hold out the word of life, there are some basic principles that have been uh, in our 90-year heritage and need to continue to be as we go forward, if the Lord tarries, another 90 years. Now, holding forth the word of life is a, a great verse in Philippians, and, and if you're a part of, in our circle at all, in this, this movement of Bible churches, you'll notice we're not unique in picking that verse. It's, it's a prominent verse all throughout. Well, first of all, there's our character. Uh, verses, verse 15 begins this way. Actually, 14 talks about that. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Uh, the Old Testament people of God were that way. As New Testament people, don't be like that. Don't be that way. He goes on to describe how, how we are not that way. How, how can that be? How do we do that, if you can put it that way? Well, first of all, there is a character, verse 15. He, he says, um, be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Hmm. By their lives, the, the Philippian church uh, is to hold fast the word the, we'll simplify it by saying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as they cling to that gospel, that truth content, their, their lives look different. Their lives become the measuring line and the illumination to the world around them. Children of God. Again, this is, this is inherent with what it is to be a saved people. Uh, children of God are responsible to live as children bringing glory and honor to their Father, the one who gave them life. And as children, we're to look like Him. It says in Ephesians 5.1 to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And more specifically, we're, we're conformed to the image of the Son, the eternal Son. This is our destiny as, as saved people of God. Romans 8.29 says, Those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He would be the firstborn among many. Now, we can, we can choke over that word predestined and we don't need to because here the destiny is for the people of God the destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ 
to have more of his character emanating in us and through us. And that looks like these next three words, blameless, innocent, and without blemish. That's pretty high standard, isn't it? Blameless above criticism and, and innocent is this idea of, well, really about a purity. Uh, a single-mindedness or a single-heartedness uh, without criticism. Now, that's almost impossible to go through life without some kind of criticism, isn't it? The real focus here is criticism from God. Blameless before God. God not having any critical spirit toward you, no criticism toward you because you've been covered by His Son, Jesus. Blameless. Now live that way. Innocent. Oh, that idea of purity. So they would use this, this term about, oh, we're, we're Bible church people. We shouldn't talk about wine, I know. But in those old ancient texts, that's what it was about. This word was about unmixed wine wasn't diluted down like the coffee you might get some places. It, it, it was pure. It was concentrated. It was the real thing, 100% pure. Or they might even use it of metals. I suppose that would have been a safer place to bring in an analogy, right? Metals, pure gold. Pure. You know, you do weddings these days, and it used to be you, you just followed the script. Like, uh, these rings are made of that which is most precious, gold. Well, now I have to look before I say that word, you know, because it could be titanium or platinum or, or, or even something more durable, uh, not necessarily precious, but more durable, like, um, what do they call those weightlifting ones? Silicone. You can cook with them. So, <laughs> pure. Like, is, is, if, if the blameless character is about the appearance, about the act, the work, the purity is about the inner of the heart. Like the one that is after God's own heart. Blameless, pure, without blemish. This, this is the term that's used of the Old Testament sacrifices. That the lamb, the, the bull would be one without blemish. Um a perfect offering, so to speak. You might remember John the baptizer's doing his ministry and his cousin Jesus comes and he, he looks and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It, Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God and He's the, the, the Lamb who will, again, usher us into the ultimate and eternal presence of the Father without blemish. But we in Him are without blemish. This is the character and the nature of God. And I think the implication with this one is we re 90 years of church, I mean, we look around and we, we know that one's not perfect. Right? We know we're not perfect. I'm always looking at myself. How can we be, you know, without blemish? But it has this idea more of Oh, a Romans 12, or even what Paul will get to later in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, this living sacrifice, this poured out offering. Our lives are to be that kind of sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. 
That's our character. Paul goes on and he talks about our, our context. Verse 15b, we're, we're, yes, blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Where are you? You're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You're in the world. You're reminded of Jesus' prayer for us in John chapter 17. Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We're in the midst of the world, and the world is described in this as a dark place, as a twisted place. Our purity, our blamelessness, is the contrast, is the foil to this twisted pervertedness. Our lives, the way we are, our character, is the foil to this dark nature of a twisted, crooked perversion. Our lives are to be the model of rightness. So this idea of crookedness is, oh, I, I really debated bringing a prop. Um, but I, I, I you're saying, well, you should have. Yeah, I know. But there's a lot of other stuff happening up here. <laughs> and lumber up here would have just confused the whole situation and we would have tripped. But this, this idea of the crooked, uh, well, let me give you the, the root word. It's scolios. Does that sound like a medical term? Scolios. Scoliosis. Um, I hated those tests. As, no amens on that one. <laughs> you, you go to the nurse's office and you, know, and you stand together, put your hands together, fingertips together, and you, and you button down like this, and let's see if there's a curvature in your spine. Well, what if one arm's longer than the other and your fingertips are together? That was my problem. I kept saying, oh, you better go for more testing. Oh, okay. But as we, as we age, we understand the realities of this, don't we? This kind of crooked, bent, um, with a, with, if we're talking about lumber, we might say warped. Uh, it's not straight. It's not plumb. It's not square. Uh, but it, it's worse. It gets worse. It's not just a bend in the board. I mean, now it's, it's twisted. Most of the translations will use the term perverted or perverse. Um, let me show you the root word for this one too. It's diastrepho. Diastrepho, distressed. Uh, we, we pay a lot of money for distressed furniture. No. But this, it's even not just that. It, I mean, this is like it's twisted, it's gnarled. So not just a nice little bend that we can maybe with pressure get out, but no, this is, this is gnarled, twisted. The implication here is we're in the midst of a, a generation of a world that gets things turned around upside down, topsy-turvy. It's what like, the uh, prophet Isaiah would say, woe to the people who call good evil and evil good. That, that's where we, we live. Today is, and I, I'm, I'm going to go with a, a cutesy illustration, just be patient with me. I mean, no offense to penguins, but because I like Linux as well as anybody. So um, today is, yes, our church anniversary, but it is also that anniversary of the Roe v. Wade 
problem, right? But on January 20th, uh, it, is, it is Penguin Awareness Day. I love the penguins. Okay, you know, good. And nothing bad or wrong about it. In fact, we should be indeed good stewards of the earth and all of his creation, indeed. And to be honest, uh, you know, often within our Bible church movement, we often kind of have this escape mentality and we just kind of let the world go to hell and uh, wait and watch it happen. Rather than being stewards of the earth in which God has placed us. Another sermon, another time. But, but you, you get the idea that you know, we can elevate the animal kingdom over those created in the image of God. Things are twisted, backwards, upside down. We call good evil and evil good. But, you know, lest we get too harsh and hard, I, I, I couldn't help but remember the miracle story of Jesus in Luke chapter 13 and verse 11. Now, the miracles are important, and that's one of the, the five key fundamentals of our movement. It begins with the inerrancy, infallibility, and inspiration of the Scriptures, the Word of God. And from that, that, that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, and a, a real, miraculous, virgin conception. And then uh, a literal, physical resurrection of Christ from the grave. And, and that, indeed, these miracles are His. And they're genuine. Well, here's one of them. Luke, Luke chapter 13, and verse 10, He's teaching. He's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. A woman who's in the world and because of the fallenness of the world is caught in a twisted and distorted situation of life. You know, rather than getting hot and angry toward all oh, the world that's all twisted up and turned around, there are people, these kind of people, that are hurting. Maybe don't know any difference. I have a, a really good friend, a close friend, who grew up in West Michigan, and he had no idea who Jesus was other than a swear word and a picture on a wall. Till he's in his 20s. That's right around here. There's a lot more people who don't have no idea why their life and their world is twisted around. And as we hold forth the word of life in the midst of it all, we have the answer. In this case, Jesus shows by bringing some healing. Verse 12 says, Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are freed from your disability. 
He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, not everyone who had this kind of issue in Jesus' life and in the New Testament was healed. And not everyone who was healed actually brought glory to God. In fact, the majority of the people that had been healed never, never praise, never give thanks, never come back to Jesus and say thank you. So the miraculous in itself is not salvation. It's, it's not where it's at. But once in a while, God will break in in a supernatural way and show us spiritual reality spiritual truth in this woman he did and it's a lesson for us there are people in this bent crooked generation that need their lives straightened up and that's why we're here so that's our course then thirdly verse 15 goes on uh, to describe this you you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. Again, literally, it's that you appear as stars. When it says you shine as lights, it kind of has this idea of action. You know, like we, we read it as it's a verb. Uh, but it has more to do with a passive experience. You appear as stars. Stars in their courses above, right? Join with all nature in manifold witness, right? The stars in their courses above. The stars have a course, but stars don't choose their course. The Creator does. And so it is with this illustration, this analogy that Paul brings. He's got us on a course. God has us on a course. And in this course, He takes us in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation in, in the world. And we appear as stars. The fact of our appearing, not the act of our shining. That's the emphasis. Um, stars. We are to be a heavenly people, you know? We are to be a heavenly people. And the truth is we can never be too heavenly-minded. You know the problem that we've even accused one another of occasionally, too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. And I understand the sentiment, but it, it really isn't true. The reality is if we're no earthly good, we're not heavenly-minded enough. Because if we really were being shaped and formed into the image of God and as of His eternal Son, then we would have those attributes manifesting themselves right, right next door. It would be manifold earthly goodness. Well, and we have this, this, uh, this deal, holding fast and holding forth. And our, our sign says, holding forth the word of life, but look at your translation. What's it say? You can preach at me. <laughs> holding fast, holding on to. <sighs> Great. Don't you love being the young pup preacher, you know, 90 years down the road, and you have to say, they were wrong? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's a translation deal. Um, a few of, uh, far majority of the modern translations and scholars will, will go, it means hold fast, hold on to. I get it. I get it. 
I go there, I mean, when you do the concordance study and look where this word's used and how it's used, yeah, it kind of appears. It's hold on to, hold fast, stand firm kind of concept. But there's, there's this, this other Bible interpretive principle that we need to, need to consider. Not but, but and. Can it be both and? Instead of not. Well, I think it is. His concepts go throughout the whole letter of Philippians. Both. Hold firm and hold out. But, but the reality is, one necessitates the other, right? I mean, you can only hold out something that you're holding on to. Hello? Well, so we'll, we'll, we'll look just quickly, applicationally, at both, both these ideas. Because they're, they're not mutually exclusive. But what is it we're holding on to? What is it we're holding? Well, again, the word of life. This is, this is talking about the good news of Jesus Christ specifically. This is talking about God having a plan to save a people for himself and doing it by himself by sending the eternal Son from the Father to earth. We just celebrated Advent, Christmas, and the coming, the incarnation, God taking on flesh, not becoming less than God, but taking on flesh, God in the flesh. Dwelling among men and living a perfect life, the perfect life that you and I couldn't do, he did and fulfilled actively in our place. And then, yes, he's the perfect sacrifice because he is without sin, he's without blemish, the only one who could be. And he died as that perfect sacrifice passively, his passive righteousness on our behalf. This is the word of life. Well, we must cling to it. it well, Peter says, you were born again by an imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. We've been brought to life and immortality through the light of the Gospel. That's life. So we hold fast to it. He, he, tells, he tells the uh, Philippian church, hold on to this Gospel. The Gospel doesn't just save you, the Gospel sanctifies you. The gospel is what makes you without blemish, pure, innocent. So hold on to that gospel. Again, we mentioned in, in the 1933, um, there was a, a vast sweeping of what they called modernism, right? Um, elevating, elevating empirical thought and rationality uh, over supernatural and the divine concepts and well it, it got complicated you know but with it we were jettisoning the virgin birth that we discussed the the resurrection of jesus christ the realities of of his ministry on earth in the miraculous that he breaks into the creation that he made he made the rules he can bend them it's his prerogative but in jettisoning all those things then you lose the gospel. The, the person and the work of Jesus is essential to your life. We need to keep holding on to this. 
Now, many will, will try to run away from Jesus and try to run away from his word, but where else are you going to go? There is life nowhere else but in him. And it's like Peter recognizes, finally, Peter has this illumination and the, they're watching the crowds leave Jesus because Jesus teaches strongly, directly about how to live and that he's enough and you need nothing else. And the, the crowds begin leaving and the disciples say, hey, Lord, they're, they're all going away. And Jesus says to the disciples, you want to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. There is nowhere else to go. So we hold on to these, these wonderful words of life, words of pardon and peace, words of salvation and holiness. But we not only hold fast as if you know, we were holding it to ourselves, precious, no, it's, we hold forth the word. Hold forth the word. And again, oh, excuse me, Bible church moment. We're into about wine again. So it, it was this idea of offering the drink. Offering that pure, unadulterated drink to the guest. Jesus symbolized this in the wedding at Cana, didn't he, in, Luke, in John chapter 2. The gospel is that good news about Jesus. It's a story we tell to the nation. So, 1933, this little band gets going. There's not too little, 84 members, charter members. That's pretty decent. But by 1934, they're already financially giving to the Froman family to go to India with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, mission is our DNA. And it's just, it's just propounded from there. It's been, you know, ups and downs mildly over the years. But very consistent, very stable, this, this mission of Grace Bible Church. By 1936, according to the official history, I, I guess we were the first church in the area to do a vacation Bible school. I'll have to check with the other guys, but that's good. By 1939, we're doing church multiplication, as they say these days. Riverbend Bible was established. It's not Riverbend Bible, but it's still there. There's a congregation worshiping there with lots of energy. Um, and then and in our other sister churches, Jenison Bible, Georgetown Bible, and yeah, Granville Bible, significant partnership and, and blood, sweat, and tears put into those ministries. People from Grace went to those places to get them started, to get them moving. And they're vibrant. We've seen 19 men ordained gospel ministry right now we've got 18 
um, vocational missionaries around the globe. Um, a month ago, it was higher. A couple retired and things like that. So um, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. We're going to be adding to our missionary family. Holding forth the word of life. The work isn't done. And I don't know if the current census says the same thing, but the previous census said something like, um, there's more restaurants in Grand Rapids than, no, there's more churches in Grand Rapids than any other city per capita in the United States. Now, you know, culture, culture. How am I doing here? You know, I'm a transplant, right? I've, I've told you the story. Like my first week or so here, Uncle Charlie called from, from the kids, you know, Radio Bible Hour. What was it called? Children. What? Keys for, well, yeah, keys for kids, but children's Bible Hour. He calls. I'm like, wow. And he says, Kindy? What kind of name is that? <laughs> he says, that's not Dutch. How did you get there? <laughs> I said, well, only by the grace of God. He said, that's for sure. <laughs> like, Thank you, Uncle Charlie. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, in those, in those golden years, those golden days, you know, you, you didn't drive your car on Sunday very much. You, 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 you didn't, you didn't want to break, you know, that Reformed Sabbath thing. Some of you know. Uh, so you got it, your churches are in walking distance. Well, that makes a lot of sense, you know? Like, you know, if those statisticians would just think about it, like, it makes sense. Okay, but nonetheless, and I mean, I counted, I counted just the other week how many churches are just right on Wilson Avenue. Because we, we had the police here for, for a, a special seminar and, and we're, we're talking about how quick they could get here and that kind of thing. How many churches are on this street? We won't go into that. But between each of these kingdom outposts, there are a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And increasingly, a lot who never even heard about Jesus, it's different than 90 years ago. It's different than 21 years ago. I see the difference walking by the window every afternoon as the middle school releases. It's a different world. We have an opportunity to figure out, by God's leading, how to be a neighbor right here in this place. And it's really important that we figure that out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would see men and women and boys and girls come to know Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord and pulled out of a society, a world, a generation that's twisted and crooked and on its way, nowhere good. That's why we're here. To worship God and witness of His work in Jesus Christ. Well, the, the last part of verse 16 goes on to talk, we'll just call it our commitment. Paul talks about his own experience and his own motivation, his own drive. He says, I want you 
to do this. I want you to be this kind of people that I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hmm. It's a pretty strong word, pride there. Uh, boasting. But there's a context here. He uses two, two verbs from two analogies of life that he enjoys. Sports and hard labor. He, he loves athletics. And he's using this, this image of running again. He uses it sometimes in terms of his own personal life. He'll do that by the end of Philippians, Philippians 3. How he's, he's pursuing Christ and the power of the resurrection. But here he's talking about his ministry. He's going to keep on going. He will not quit. He'll keep on running, keep on going. I, I had opportunity um, to learn a little bit about the story of Private Dawson. Dawson Dawes, Daw, Private Dawes, a medic on Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa, World War II. And uh, he saved some 75 men from the ridge before he himself was wounded in a way they had to take him off the ridge. And uh, he, he was a religious man, not quite of our ilk, but a religious devout man nonetheless. And each time he'd get a man to the ridge and down, he'd, he'd take a breath and say, just give me one more, God. Just give me one more. Well, that, that's the kind of drive. A sense of, of urgency, even desperation, to see people come to know Jesus. And Paul wants to be able to, to get to the end of the race and stand before the, the judge, to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and have Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the, what, is, what is Paul's prize? His brothers and his sisters one to the Lord. That's the goal. That's what drives in motives. The glory of God in the people of God. And God is glorified when they're saved. And so Paul moves in this way. He runs in hot pursuit to the point of exhaustion. Paul thinks of his life running, laboring, but it's a spiritual vision that's fixed on the Lord. And he looks forward to seeing Jesus face to face and having the approval of his master. It's not about his own personal prize. It's about seeing those created in the image of God redeemed by the Son of God. It's like John the elder apostle would say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There is no greater joy. So, anniversary brings an occasion to review our ministry memories, but also to reaffirm ministry commitments. And that's what we do. So let us renew our commitment to serve the Lord in this time in this place, with the brilliance of a word-saturated life and a word-driven ministry. And, and may those who have gone before us not have labored in vain. 
And may those who come behind us see that there's still a Bible here that's valued as the truth of God. We celebrate 90 years of gospel witness and work in Granville. And yes, we get a little bit of boasting today, but our boasting is to be in the Lord who has sustained Grace Bible. He is the one who's been faithful. He is the one who has done great things. So in the remembrances, the reflections, the reminiscences, it should cause us to widen our vision of the Lord. The psalmist says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. We, we resonate with that. But here's the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. You see, dwelling on the past is not to blind us from our present service and the glory of God. Samuel directs the people of God to consider the work of the Lord, look to the past at His work, His promise, His purpose, His provision, and don't lose sight of the future. Fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully. Keep on going. Do it with all your heart. The Lord is posturing Grace Bible for a new phase in His plan for gospel ministry. It's a time of anticipation. A time of excitement. But while the culture shifts and the demographics change, the purpose of the church remains the same. Hold fast and hold forth. The word of life. So, Father, take these uh, observations from your text, your word, and may your Holy Spirit apply them to our lives and our hearts. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for the great privilege that's ours today to humbly come before you, to lovingly praise and thank you as we reflect on the history of our church established 90 years ago. Loving God, today we thank you for your goodness through all those years of worship and witness and work here at Grace Bible. We give thanks for calling us to be your people, for your love revealed to us in Jesus, your Son, for the gift of your Spirit and the joy of salvation. We thank you for every memory that our celebration revives and we thank you for the great, the great work of all those who made this anniversary celebration pretty special. We ask that you would deepen within each of us a sense of, of thanksgiving for the, the many sacrifices made by those who have gone ahead of us. For the founders, the evangelists, the teachers, the ushers, the greeters, the elders, the diaconate, 
the pastoral staff, the ministry support staff and teams, the pastor teachers who have opened the word to us, all who have contributed to the work, witness, and worship of our assembly. May we continue to see by faith the word brought to our community, to our neighborhood, to the needs of those that are there. God, we celebrate our past and rejoice in our present. We look forward with eager eyes to the future. And we pray that you would continue to make your love known among us. Give us a zeal for mission and help us look beyond our walls to those who don't know you. Make this church indeed the bride of Christ without blemish, spot, soil. A blessing to those around and glory to you. May Christ be exalted, the architect, the cornerstone, the capstone, the author, the perfecter, whom from lives are creating out of these living stones a dwelling place of God. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.